Hey, everybody. When Steve and I initially recorded this episode, we did it before the uh, Sebi Corder Rafael Nadal match um, started and was finished. So while we gave some predictions, we didn't get the chance to talk about the match. Obviously, once we saw the match, saw what played out, Steve and I wanted to get back on the mic and talk a little bit about the match after its conclusion. So that's what we did. So stick around to the end of the podcast. We'll do a little uh, addendum where we will talk about the, uh, the quarter off of match. Thanks. Welcome to another episode of Courtside with Beelance and Tennis, part of the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. We have a lot of fun items to discuss today. I have with me my co-host and Hall of Famer, Steve Flink. Steve, uh, we are in some good, good, good stuff in the tennis world right now. You ready to uh, you ready to roll? I'm ready to roll, David. Looking forward to it. Before we hit Indian Wells, and that's what everybody's been talking about right now, there are a couple items that we wanted to hit before we start talking about that tournament. And one is the Davis Cup and their win over Columbia. I know you're a huge, huge fan of Davis Cup. I wanted to talk about the U.S. team in general. Um, I love that they went younger with the singles guys. Um, with Sebastian Corda, it was his debut, right? With Taylor Fritz, Tommy Paul. Doubles, they went with some guys who were more veterans, right? Jack Sock, Rajiv Ram. Um, we'll get into Jack Sock more when we talk about Indian Wells, because he's about to play a tremendous doubles match uh, in Indian Wells, but watching Sock and Ram play doubles, it's so entertaining. And Jack, I'm not going to go through the numbers again. I've done it previously in a pod that we've done together. Jack Sock to me is the best doubles player on this planet uh, right now. And what he's done with different partners is, is crazy. And it's so fun to watch. I I guess I want to hear your initial reactions to um, successful Davis cup weekend. Well, just to get to your latter point first, you know, that's a, the, the, the argument is there. And I think a lot of people would agree with you. I don't I, I, I can't say right now you could find a better doubles player in the world, you know, based on the last bunch of years. I hope he and Ram, I'd like to see them. I don't know. I wish they could play together more often. They certainly can stay together as a Davis Cup partnership. And that's exciting because obviously for a long time we relied on the Bryan brothers to win that pivotal doubles match. And now. You, you, you really want to make sure to win that as often as possible. And if you've got a team like Rajiv Ram and, and Jack Sock together, they, they can win a lot of matches. And, and uh, that, that's terrific. And your point about the younger Americans is well taken because Corden needed that experience. He looked tight in his first match, but he got through it. And, and you could see how, how relieved and exhilarated that he was. And now, he, you know, his future should be very bright playing for his country now. And, Taylor Fritz is a veteran, but still young. There's, there's a lot of great prospects for, for, for the Americans in Davis Cup this year, led by the captain, Marty Fish. I think they're, 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 they are riding a positive wave of momentum. And I think if they keep those core, core group, core guys together, um, it's exciting for the fans. And I can say, uh, the, you know, for a while there, there wasn't much fanfare going out for, for the American Davis Cup team just because the the way the organization and the way the tennis world has kind of pushed Davis Cup down a little bit, which is unfortunate, but, but even more so. David, quick point. I just wanted to throw in one thing before I forget. I think that John Isner has no problem with these younger guys. He's had his chances to play Davis. Had some great Davis Cup moments, beat Roger Federer in a, in a classic four-set performance. 
way back when, I think in 2012. John, I think, is would be more than happy to in his mid-30s to concentrate on the tour, do the best he can in the tournaments, and let these guys take over uh, when it comes to Davis Cup. That's my guess. I'm not saying he would give up the opportunity, but I don't think he feels any sense of envy or regret that they're that they may be taking over from him when it comes to playing for their country uh, that's that's certainly my take on it couldn't agree with you more and, and like i was saying this core group of young kids right now they're riding a good wave of momentum and if they stay together uh which i think they will um it could be exciting for for uh several years to come so that's good do want to talk about um sasha's vera and the punishment that came out, which I think the only people that found that punishment satisfied was Sasha himself and maybe his own family, because I think the ATP missed on that one. I mean, for those that don't know, it's basically probation for one year. And if he violates it, he gets suspended for eight weeks and an additional small fine. Um, You know, the question is, what does it take for a player to get suspended? If that wasn't it, then what, what will it be? I mean, you look at the definition of assault, the elements of assault were there. Um, I know that sounds strong, but if, again, you break down the elements of assault, that was assault. Um, I think they missed on this one, Steve. I really do. I think the ATP. Oh, they missed, they missed flagrantly. I, I'm, I'm baffled by it, David, because yes, Zarev is, you're looking at a guy that could well win his first major this year and is is just is one of the best players in the world and we know he's won two year-end championships he's been one of their stars won a bunch of masters 1000s and we think he's going to make that breakthrough at a grand slam event but he obviously went way over the line here with that umpire in the doubles match and he knew it and he apologized afterwards and, and obviously was thrown out of the tournament for doing it but to me the eight weeks should have applied immediately forget the the, the forget this one year of probation just apply the eight weeks, keep him out of, of Indian Wells and Miami, which would really sting. And he'd understand it too. And then let him pick up on the clay court circuit whenever that eight weeks is over and he'd still be able to play the French and move on from there. But to turn it into a, I don't understand it. He's not Novak Djokovic. He's not Rafa Nadal, Roger Federer, one of the real luminaries of the sport. Not quite yet. Where they could feel more pain, the tour would. So I, I don't understand the stance, frankly. And I, I think our, our viewpoint is shared by many, David. There's a sense of bafflement about why they just couldn't impose that. Eight weeks was, a, was a, a very logical, sensible amount of time. But just apply it. Don't make it into a probation. And they, the ATP tour kind of turned themselves into a, into a pickle here because a precedent. If something else happens very similar, they got to pretty much do the same thing that they did for Sasha. And that, that just... I don't know. Yeah. Again, I think we're all in agreement. Yeah, you're boxing yourself in. That's a good point you're making. You know, suddenly, you know, they, they may want to do it in another instance, and it's going to look hypocritical given here. The strangest part of it to me is I honestly had the feeling Zarev, who's who's a pretty clear thinker away from the arena and, and usually doesn't behave this way on the court either, but he knows he went way over the line. Had they gone ahead and given him an eight-week suspension, said, Sasha, we're sorry but you went way too far. We hope you're going to learn from this. I don't think he would have been outraged. I don't think he would have been contentious about it. I think he would have accepted it somewhat remorsefully, but he would have accepted it and understood that he brought it on himself. He knew that as soon as he, initial, he released his initial statement after the incident. So I, 
I don't even think it would have been that difficult a stance for the tour to take. They have so many other stars out there. You've got Medvedev, who just moved to number one in the world. Rafa having this blazing start to the season. Novak's going to be back in circulation at least part of the time. They they have enough stars to call on. Why they would have felt that there was a need to be overprotective of Sasha Zarev is, is beyond me. Yeah, no, I, I agree. Um, we'll see how that plays out, and hopefully other players won't try to take advantage of that weak ruling and try to do something similar because there's no place for any any of that in this sport. So with that, we'll will, move on to more... Final comment, just a final comment. We'll say this. I do believe that Zarev is going to be behaving quite well. I think he knows he's very fortunate to have come away with this kind of... But he also knows that if he puts a foot out of line along the way here, then, then he gets himself back into trouble and that eight weeks is going to end up being enforced. So he doesn't want that. He knows he's a very lucky fellow to be out there competing now. So I, I, I just hope that that sinks into him, that he realizes that he, he caught a real break here. He did. Um, he, he definitely did. And I don't know. We'll see how it all plays out. Hopefully other players won't try to, to feed on that light punishment and try to get away with something uh, that they shouldn't be getting away with. And we hope that's not the case. Okay. On to Indian Wells, the start of the sunshine double. Um, we'll start with some of the, uh, some of the women's matches and the first round, the, the first round was real intriguing between Sloan Stevens and Naomi Osaka. Too bad. The weather was just, it, it was horrible. It was ter- horrendous wind. Um, really difficult to play. Sloan won the first set six, three Osaka wins the second set six, one. And then it was 2-0, 15-40 for Sloan in the third. Sloan didn't break at that time. And I texted you and I said, I wish I would have bet the remaining mortgage on my house that Osaka would have broke back, which she did. She wound up winning the, the last six games of the match. Um, yeah. Weird match. Yeah, it was a weird match. As you said, David, I, I, in fairness to the players, the conditions were horrendous. You could see watching it on the TV, the player who had the wind at her back often was, was, you know, the other player would hit a ball unintentionally a little short and you'd see the, the, the player with the wind at her back lunging to get to the ball and then barely able to make contact. It, often you see with a more controllable wind that they, it's, it's a great advantage to have the wind at your back. In that match, I thought they both were troubled by, you could see how much they struggled. It lowered the level of play considerably, but you're right about, that third game of the final set was so critical because if Sloan can get a two-break lead, she not only had 15-40, she had a third-break point uh, after that and wasn't able to convert. And then that's why I didn't think it was going to make as big a difference as it did, but Naomi really got on a roll after that. Good for her. Tough break for Sloan because she put herself into a winning position, couldn't get across the finish line. I, I think this might get Osaka going, though. Frankly, I think... Sloan's come off of winning a tournament. I think Osaka needed this match even more than Stevens did. And I hope that this is going to get Naomi moving in the right direction now, get her ranking up, and she could even contend strongly for this title if she can uh, it, it keep raising the level of her game, which I suspect she will. Yeah, well said, Steve. And then the, uh, a match last night, and we're recording this Saturday, uh, Saturday afternoon. Match last night uh, between Ali Risk and Garbine Muguruza, Allie loses the first nine games of the match, 06, 03. She winds up winning. I think I, I talked to you, Steve, at 06. I said I had to – I turned it off. I, I needed to watch my uh, my yeah. alma mater, my Kansas Jayhawks, playing in the Big 12 tournament. She was yeah, down 06. Father, David, let me just tell your list, our listeners, 
there's nothing more entertaining than getting these mid-match texts from you because <laughs> we have a lot of fun going back and forth of that. And it is, that was wild because not only did Muguruza win the first nine games, Risk came back and won the next eight, went up to love in the third and then, and then got broken. And you thought maybe Muguruza was going to get back into it. She never won another game, four more in a row for Risk to, to, to run out the match. I must say, listen, as gritty and as resilient as Risk is, and she's a great competitor and a fascinating personality, very expressive. And I, I like the way she competes. I don't understand Muguruza. I really don't. There's so many losses like that on her ledger that you that cannot be explained. The mood swings are too extreme. A player of her experience who's won majors and won the year-end championships and has had that kind of a resume should not be losing matches from... I understand it can be a liability to win a six-love set sometimes because it almost gives you a false sense of security. But to then have the cushion of three-love in the second and win only one more game, lose... 12 of the last 13 is inexplicable for a player of uh, Garbine's uh, experience. Yeah, no, I definitely agree. And now Allie plays uh, fellow American Madison Keys in the next round. So it'll be uh, interesting to see how that matchup. Uh... But I must say, I don't know if you, you, it was amusing to see when she finally got on the scoreboard risk and it had a big grin on her face. So at that point, it was like, thank you. God, I'm not going to get double bagels. You know, I mean, well, she, she said was, she was embarrassed that people were paying money yeah. to watch this match. Right. <laughs> but that was nice to see. It was kind of a very self-deprecating smile. Like, oh, God, I, I needed a game. Thank heavens I've got it. But then the way she buckled down after that was impressive. And, and in turn, her opponent really it came apart at the seams in many ways. And not not so much that she was losing her cool left and right, but her game really deteriorated. It just it went down two, three notches. It was sad to see that because otherwise you might get a match that could have been right down to the wire in the third set if Muguruza can regroup in the third and really start playing top-level tennis again, but, but she never did. Sad to see that, but good for Allison. And I think that'll be an interesting match against Madison. I agree. Um, after that match, Coco Goff played. Claire Lou, Claire played pretty well, I thought. When I, watched, when I was watching, I thought Claire played well. Coco got through 6-1-7-6, was a pretty good match. Coco plays Simona Halep. I'll kind of echo what you said earlier about Naomi Osaka, that that was a big match for Naomi to get through with Sloan, and maybe it can get her going for this year. I will say the same thing about Coco and Halep. If Coco can get through that match, hopefully that can jumpstart her year as well, because um, I know it's been a little bit up and down for Coco, and we're both hoping for uh, such, such good things uh, in the future. That'll be a, a really interesting test to see and, and can how can she deal with the fact here's here's Simona who's so well who's who's such a tough competitor and misses so infrequently and she makes you beat her game in game out point in point out and but Coco now has you know she's picked up so much experience in the last couple I expect it to be a very hard fought tight contest if Coco can pull off the win. I tip my hat to her. I would going in. I would still give Halep the edge, but only slightly, only slightly. I think I think that this will be a match that Coco will actually enjoy. No pressure on her, and yet I think deep down she believes she can beat her. Yeah, no, I think it's a big match, a big opportunity for for Coco to jumpstart her year. I hope uh, we'll see how that match plays out. Hopefully, she can get through it. On to the men, and I, and I know there's. Um, we're still in such the early stages of the tournament. I know you got Corda playing Rafa. You got Jack Saka who won his first round and playing Tsitsipas. I'd expect Tsitsipas to win that match. Um, 
the doubles match, I, I mean, the doubles match that is coming up is going to be incredible. And that's Jack Sock and John Isner who took out the top seeds yesterday. They are going to now play Nick Kyrgios and Tanase Kokonakis. Kokonak, Remember, Sock and Kyrgios usually play, they play a lot of doubles together. They haven't really faced off against each other. I don't think they, I don't have the stat in front of me, but I don't think, I can't remember that they ever have faced off against each other in doubles. Um, but that being said, that is going to, the crowds are going to be huge for that match. That may as well just put it in the final, put it in the final weekend because the creativity, the skill level, the energy on that court is going to be uh, tremendous. I cannot wait to watch that match. And of course, the, the Australians are coming off their great victory down under. So they, they, they had a great time winning that. And Curios, I think, was thrilled to pull that off. Uh, yeah, I think this is going to be one of those rare doubles matches that has the fans every bit as captivated in, as they are for a top-of-the-line singles match. That doesn't happen very often. This will be one of the rare exceptions. Yeah, I agree. Um, the Sebastian Corder-Rafa Nadal match. Rafa played Sebastian on, at the French Open. He beat him. But uh, this is on a hard court. Rafa, like you said, is just, he's on an unbelievable start to the year. Uh, we both love, we both love Sebastian Corda. He's going to have a tremendous future, already very good. Do you see him upsetting Rafa? Frankly, no, no, I don't. I mean, I think if he manages somehow steal a set or earn a set, it's not fair to say steal it because could outplay him. I think that would be a great achievement in itself. With Rafa as confident as he is, having won his first three tournaments of the year, including his 21st major down under in Melbourne, I just, I don't see it. I, I think we could have a couple of, de- more likely kind of a Rafa four and four win is how I would see it going in. And I hope that Sebastian surprises me. I hope I'm, I'm not selling him short, but I just think it'd be different if Rafa had struggled in his first three tournaments of the year and was not winning many matches and didn't have a lot of confidence, then maybe Sebastian might find more vulnerability. But I think Rafa is just riding so high and playing so beautifully on the hard courts. And plus his history at this tournament, he's always loved Indian Wells, never won Miami, but this one, this, this is one of his favorites. And I, I suspect that Rafa is going to be in, in sparkling form from the outset. Again, hard fought sets. I don't think it'll be that easy, but I, I'd be surprised if Sebastian did manage to win a set in that match. Let me ask you this. And Rafa's, oh, go ahead. What are your thoughts? Yeah. I I mean, I think Rafa's going to win, but what I wanted to to follow up with, and it will be interesting if it gets tight and Rafa's loved internationally, you know, all over the world, but if it gets tight, does the Indian Wells crowd get behind Corda and not so much one-sided towards Rafa? And I would say the same thing if it was at the U.S. Open, right? What would happen if Rafa gets in a tight match with a young American and they have that uh, American crowd behind him? It'll be interesting to see. That said, I think Rafa does win this match. You know, Rafa is so popular everywhere he goes on this planet that yes, they would get behind Corda, but not the way they would, you know, if, if, if Sebastian was playing Novak or Roger, well, I shouldn't say Roger, not the yeah. way they would have been playing Novak or some of the other top players, Andy Murray, you name it. But there's something about Rafa and he has, and he's had this great history at Indian Wells and the public is excited about his resurgence. So I think although they would applaud, they'd give uh, animated support to Sebastian. It would be, They'd still be very polite to Rafa. That's my my guess. I don't think the crowd would go uh, bonkers for Sebastian. They just would be enthusiastic. 
Yeah, no, I think you're spot on. I, I would, I would agree with that as well. I want to talk about, uh, I want to close with Andy Murray because there's a, there's a few things going on with Andy Murray right now. Got his 700th win yesterday. Um, tough match versus Terrell Daniel down a break in the third. Andy gets through again. It's one of those tough, not quick matches, which we've talked about several times, 700th singles match win. And he reunites with his coach, Yvonne Lendl, where they were Yvonne. And when they were, when Yvonne was working with Andy helped win, helped uh, Andy win two Wimbledon titles, a U.S. open slam, two Olympic gold medals, uh, a lot of success. Obviously, Yvonne's coming now at a totally different stage. When I mentioned those other slams, it seems like a lifetime ago. Um, Yvonne's coming in, working with Andy now at a totally different stage of Andy's career than he initially did. Um, what are your thoughts on Andy with everything? My thoughts on Andy with, sorry? With, with everything, his play and with, oh, and with yeah. Yvonne. Yeah, we beat Tara Daniel. He avenged a loss to Daniel not long ago. That was a good effort. I I think it's a great move because if anybody could bring Andy back into the forefront, which seems improbable given his results over the last year, but not impossible, it would be Yvonne Lendl. Because think about what happened in the in the in the, the events that you were mentioning in 2012, in the summer of 12. You know, Andy lost to Roger in the Wimbledon final, but then beat Roger to win the Olympic gold medal back at Wimbledon on the grass again, having beaten Novak in the semis. Goes to the U.S. Open and on a fiercely windy day beats Novak in the finals of the 2012 U.S. Open in five sets after Novak came from two sets down. And then, then uh, you know, it, I mean, that was a golden period. And then Yvonne was back with Andy when he won his second Wimbledon again you know, back in 16 and, and uh, he, all, most of the, most of the golden moments in Andy Moma's career have been with Yvonne Lendl in his coaching chair. That can't be an accident. So I do think he's going to help him a lot psychologically and, and tactically, and maybe take him up in a, whether he can bring him to the point where Andy is contending again for majors, where he's really, you know, finds himself in this big semifinal against a rapper or a Novak at a major I don't know, but that would be a very exciting thing. And Lendl is, there's just some kind of an understanding there. It's not an accident that Andy keeps coming back to Yvonne after these absences and said, I need you back. Third time, right? Third time. Yeah, third time. And and so I, I, and and Lendl is always very self-effacing about his role. He doesn't want a lot of attention. If Andy talks about him in the presentation, like he did the 2012 Open, Yvonne almost wants to crawl in a corner. He's so shy about it. But he's he the, the, he's he's he has one of the great tennis minds in my in my opinion, Lendl, and uh, I I think that this was a very wise move for Andy. It's inspiring to watch Andy on the court, just because with everything that he's been through, you see how much he wants to win every single match. He doesn't have to do this. I mean, he does not have no. to do this at his stage of his career. And you see how much, and he still gets down and aggravated a little bit, but he is there fighting for every point. And it's uh, at his stage of his career, it's, it's, it's really, really great to see him. We're eager to see how far he can get up the ranks and see uh, this latter stages of his career. Uh, what he can accomplish because the the want to is definitely there yeah and you know i let's face it doing all this with everything he's been through with a hip and an artificial hip and i mean the challenges that he has on top of his age are just extraordinary and yet he doesn't complain he keeps 
He keeps fighting. He's it, the joy that he shows in winning even early round matches. You would think he's won the he's won a major, and I don't mean that cynically. I mean it's actually it's really in, inspiring to see the commitment and uh, that he has to the game at this stage and and the pleasure he gets from winning any kind of a match. So this will be an uh, this will be a, a very interesting reunion <laughs> revival whatever we want to call it but between Lendl and Murray round three and I and I do believe at the very least Yvonne will bring him back up to a higher level than anything we've seen in the last year and we've seen some great moments to be sure uh, but I just think it, it, it Yvonne is it ha, has has a certain understanding with Andy and he knows how to bring out the best in his charge and it will happen again for the third time at least on some level now, if Andy if Andy pulls off another major, I, I I just I think it would be one of the great feats. I don't quite see it going that far, but I do see Yvonne bringing him back into the picture and getting him into the latter stages of majors and making him more prominent again. Getting consistently into that second week, and it's just been hard because his ranking isn't high enough, so he gets some tough draws. And like we've now, said several times, he gets he has very difficult early round matches. Absolutely. And I think that's something Yvonne's going to address with him. Yvonne is, is, is a very astute observer of this game. And he knows that the subject, what we've talked about so often about Andy wearing himself out by having to go three, three and a half hours or three long sets. And then in the next round, he's so vulnerable physically that Yvonne will be really wanting him to focus on that, you know, and, and find, trying to find ways to get Andy through early round matches more swiftly. I'm sure that will be on Lendl's agenda. Now, you, you can't wave a magic wand, but I think he'll be really honing in on that and making Andy focus on it more because it could make a big difference. He's got to get through some more straight set wins in the early rounds to give himself a chance to survive in the latter ones. So, so key to, to doing that. Um, they call this the fifth slam uh, for a reason. It's one of the best tournaments out there. The players love it. The fans love it. It's at a beautiful facility. Uh Enjoy it. I know Steve and I are going to enjoy it. Steve, before we leave, any parting thoughts? Uh, I know we're still at the early stages, but uh, the next time we record, we'll be definitely at the latter stages of the tournament. Anything else before we go? No, I just get this feeling, though, that there is going to be a certain player from Spain with the initials RN who we, we are going to be talking about when this event is over. I just have that feeling that he's not going to lose. We'll see. And who am I to doubt my Hall of Famer and co-host Steve Flink with that call. So everyone enjoy the tennis. I know Steve and I will and have a great rest of the week. Thanks, Steve. Thank you, David. So as I stated in the intro, you know, we originally recorded this episode prior to the uh, Sebastian Corda Rafa Nadal match. Uh, we, we had predictions. The predictions were correct by the skin of our teeth. Uh, but with how that match played out, Steve and I obviously wanted to talk a little bit about it. So, Steve, uh, it started out pretty routine. Rafa was up 6-2, first set. Sebi looked all out of sorts. Sebi served the first game of the second set, was down love 30, looked to be another prime opportunity for Rafa to break. Second serves, what happened from there? Yeah, Rafa, two errant backhand returns in a row off second serves, which is very unusual for him, unless it's a, you know, exceedingly big second server. You know, that's one thing where somebody's got, these were just pretty average second serves. So that was an important game. If, if he had gotten the break there, who knows? It might have been a routine match. But then 
Corda just took off and won that set 6-1. And let me stop and, you before you before you talk more about that. Credit to Jim Courier at that 6-2 love love or 0-0 love 30 point. When, when Rafa missed those two returns, Jim was on it and he said, whoa, if Sebi can hold here, this could be a swing. Uh, yeah. So credit to Jim because he was right on it at that moment. Yeah, but because those opening, he's right because those early games of a second set, they can really make a big difference. You know, if somebody has an opportunity like that, it really can alter the complexion completely of the match. And quarter started, he was swinging so freely, David. I was amazed. You and I were texting backs and forth as we often do. and. He, uh, he was teeing off. He was hitting out so freely, and, but missing so rarely. It was a great combination of, con- of aggression and control, controlled aggression, the old tennis phrase. And, and he blitzed through the second set. And I felt like in that second set, by the way, Rafa, the mistake I thought he was making was trying to answer pace with pace. And he was getting beaten to the punch. He didn't late in the match when he came back. And we'll get to that. He started going with the slice backhands and slowing things down and floating returns deep down the middle like he did against Medvedev in the Australian Open final. And that's Rafa at his thinking man's best. But for a while in the second set, he looked mentally rattled and uh, he really looked for him flummoxed. And that's so rare. Yeah. And as you said, um, Sebi held that that first game and he, uh, he blitzed through that second set 6-1. Goes to the third set. Sebi goes up 4-2, up a break, and then he breaks Rafa again as Rafa double-faulted twice in that service game. Sebi's now up 5-2, double yeah, break. Now, yeah, keep in mind that you just touched on something critical. How often are you going to see that? By then, Rafa was up to eight double faults. And and, and they, they they mentioned, of course, the record for him was like 11 against Shapovalov in Australia, but that's a five-set match. This is eight in a three in a short three set match a short one we're not talking about six seven seven six seven six these sets were until the last one were quick the first two were quick so that's in a really high number for rafa and he looked pretty i mean to to throw in the two doubles and give uh sabby the second break the cushion of a second break you thought was going to make a bigger difference than it did and uh, and you know it was more it was it was pretty comical when I texted it to, to David, who we did our year-end segment with. I texted David when Rafa was down 5-2. I said, watch Rafa win this 7-5. And it came close. But, um, you know, that Sebi came to serve at, at 5-2. And, and as you correctly pointed out to me when we were uh, texting a little bit, he didn't hit one first serve in, right? That yeah, actually, first serve. I, I, was, I was wrong slightly. One. He one. made one, it turned out. One in the whole game, though, David. And four glaring unforced errors up the backhand across a routine cross court a deep down the line a netted down the line and then he pulled one wide and that's his bread and butter shot david as you know the two-hander is where he really seldom breaks down the uh, he was lacing that two-hander today yeah, he was <laughs> but they really let him down in, at a critical juncture there at five two because it would have been much nicer for him to try to get it then even after that david the next game he got to 30 all on a rafa and then Courier, I was glad to hear it, pointed out because uh, his co-commentator, Brett Haber, was giving Sebi credit for coming in. Yes, but the problem was the approach was too close to the middle of the court. And Rafa hardly had to move. So, yes, you're taking away some angle, but he had plenty of time to set up his down-the-line pass and made it perfectly. 
That earlier in the match, Sebi's hitting those approaches close, much, much closer to the sideline whenever he went down the line up the back. And the approach was not, not located well. It was too much in the center of the court. So that was a big point. Could have given a match point. Rafa holds on. And, and, then, and then the second time Sebi served for it, he got more first serves in. Well, let's Rafa... hold the changeover. Let's hold, the, let's hold for one second. So, so, so uh, you know, Rafa breaks uh, Sebi, go to 5-3. Rafa winds up holding, like you just said in that game. 5-4 now, and now you have a long changeover. Sebi has not been yeah. in this position uh, much in his career at all, right? Um, it's a long changeover, and this is the toughest sport to close. You cannot take a knee as you can in football. You cannot run out the clock as you can do in basketball. It's the hardest sport to close. And Sebi is now trying to close against arguably the, the greatest fighter competitor there is in the sport. And you just had a feeling, even at 5-4, this was not going to be an easy hold for Sebi. No, no. Well, he's still, exactly, but he's still haunted by missing the first opportunity of 5-2, where you figure it might be a bit easier, where he's got the cushion, and you're right. Now he has more time to think about it. He already had to think about it before he served at 5-2. Now he's at the changeover 5-4, and he, he served better. But Rafa, this is when Rafa got really smart about getting every ball back as deep as possible, using the backhand slice, making the returns as deep and as possible, and, and forcing Corda uh, to come up, with, was, come up with the goods. I mean, these were not great returns, but they were deep enough. They were smart. And so he was making – so and Rafa made a couple of great, really – he got a little lucky on a backhand pass down the line that looked like it was going wide, but clipped the sideline. But it was still, he deserved it. And then he hit a great pass for love 30, but Sebi got back to 30 all. That's where you thought maybe now. And he came in and played that deliberately kind of a short, low finesse backhand volley. I wouldn't call it a drop volley, but a short, low one. And Rafa, Rafa's craftsmanship showed there because he, he knew he couldn't pass him. He knew it was going to be too tough to pass. He puts up the lob down the line, by the way. Not cross court, but down the line to force Sebi to either retreat and hit a backhand pass or play a backhand overhead. He tries the backhand overhead and can't handle it. The lob was too good, too deep. And then, and then, then Corda overhit a pretty easy forehand. It was an unforced on the break point again because I think he was a bit shaken to be down 30 40. And despite all that, he still gets to break point at five all on Rafa's serve. Unbelievable. And, and, and he, and he overhit a forehand there too. He got a little over anxious there. He set the play up. Well, Rafa kind of mishit a forehand, not too deep. And Corda hit a forehand cross court long off the mishit. I understand it can throw your timing off, but that was another unfortunate moment because he could have had a third chance to serve for the match, a third. So I was happy, though, I'm sure you were, too, that at least Corda held on at 5-6 to yeah, bring it. Yeah, he stopped the bleeding. Rafa had won four games in a row. He stopped yeah. the bleeding, and yeah. I think everyone was kind of hoping for, for a tiebreaker, and the tiebreaker came. Sevi had a mini break early on, but Rafa got that back quickly, well, and he really controlled the latter point, the latter stage of that tiebreaker. Yeah, no, that was also interesting because Rafa had had the mini break for 2-1, lost both the points on his serve, so there's Corda serving at 3-2. He loses both of his. And that's really where the match was gone. Rafa ran it out very nicely from there. There was some concern on behalf of Courier and Paul Anacone. And I know friends of mine emailed me too. They thought Rafa looked like he might have been a bit hobbled at the end. Yeah. He seemed to be limping a bit. 
I don't know if think if it was really serious, he wouldn't have come up a short time later to do the interview with Tennis Channel, which he did. I'm hoping that it was it was nothing, you know. And it he was pulled a, out of Miami, so yeah, right well, before that, that match, that, he pulled out of Miami. But they were announcing that during the match. That decision had already been made, so I don't. Yeah, think that, that match was a, before. I'm just saying, if he can get through this tournament, he'll have a number of weeks to to rest before yeah, the clays. But, but um, not, yeah, hopefully it's not enough to deter him to getting through this tournament. We'll, we'll find out. I assume the day after tomorrow, whenever he plays Dan Evans, that then we'll find out what kind of shape he's in. But it, I'm hoping that it's really inconsequential yeah and you know what uh, to, to talk about Sebi for a second yeah he's going to be terribly disappointed because he had he had a, a, a big time opportunity to have the biggest win of his career today but he's got to help you know hold his head up high because he was he looked terrible for the first set and for him to 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 come to and and play as well as he did in sets two and for for most of the third the the the, the, the beginning and middle stages of the third set he was great um I hope he holds yeah, his head up high. I think he will. I think he will. Yeah. This this won't discourage him long run. I think he'll learn from it. And his ceiling is still so high. Yeah, not in the long run. It, what will discourage him is that you're you're potentially on your way to a two and two loss or a two and three loss if Rafa gets the early break to start the second. Then you put yourself in a position where you won the second set six one and you're up five two in the third. So you've won 11 out of 14 games in that stretch. You're roaring and you're potentially going to beat him 6-2 in the third. The fact that it got away from two breaks up, it, it, short term, it will bother. And, it, and and that's OK. It should. You want yeah. it to stick. And he'll talk to his father about it, who's been through many of these experiences himself. And his father, it's interesting, David. I saw his father play a lot and he used to have great matches against Pete Sampras in the 90s and Agassi. And yeah. he won the Australian in 98. He, he was a great player. But he was he didn't play that much like Sebi. He was a more of a shot maker, streaky, much streaky. Yeah, I remember him. I remember Ashman. And left-hander, as you remember too. So it was a dip. I'm just saying it was a different game, different game that he played. On the other hand, he he has so much knowledge of what it's like to play in the upper tiers of the game, uh, the upper echelons of tennis. So I think he'll help him deal with this and help him get over it. But it's okay if the guy if the kid. If, if Sebi sheds a few tears tonight, good, good. You yeah. know, that's fine. But now I think he's at the point where, okay, Rafa was his idol and he will always respect Rafa, but now he sees himself. He sees himself on the same level. Now he says to himself, okay, I came within a few eyelashes of, of beating this guy. I was a whisker or two away from winning. And, and next time I'm going to get him. I, I hope that's the attitude. And then in turn, Rafa is going to be just as stubborn on his side saying he had his chance. And next time I'm going to be, next time I'm going to take care of this kid in straight. You know, I mean, Rafa's, Rafa was terrific, by the way. His comments afterwards, you know. Oh, he, unbelievable he, comments. Yeah. Unbelievable. Yeah. Comments. Humility and, 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 and really kind of acknowledging that it took some luck and understanding that, you know, you can't point, put your finger on one thing as far as far as why he turned the match around. But I do think the composure had a lot to do with it. He was getting a little antsy and a little bit frustrated leading up to the end when he got behind. But once yeah. he, once he was down five, two, he just, he was zoned in and calm and purposeful. And, and that helped him to think his way through it. And when he saw the court of faltering at five, two and all the missed backhands and got the break back and you, you saw right away, he kind of screamed out and, 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 and you could tell that he, he now thought, all right, I, I can pull this out. I think I can do this.
You know, I, I've said this numerous times. I know you'll agree with me. And this doesn't just apply to, to players at the professional level. I've said this many a times, and it applied today. If you play this game long enough, no matter what level you're at, if you play this game long enough, you are going to win matches you have no business winning, and you are going to lose matches you have no business losing. It's part of it. You can't fight it. It's a brutal, brutal sport. It is what it is, and you got to learn to embrace it because it's the toughest sport there is to close. Yeah, I agree with that. I also think it's that I would take it a step further even and say it's sports, plural. I mean, I think of following the New York Yankees through the years and watching them pull games out in the bottom of the ninth with two out and the two strikes on the batter and they're trailing by two runs and he gets on and they win with a three-run homer or the Knicks pulling out a game down the street. You know what I'm saying. I think it, it, all sports fans know that feeling uh, when their teams have not been able to close it out. But what, what makes your point spot on is you're out there on your own in tennis. Yeah. This is this is about you. You are isolated out there. You don't have any teammates to help you out. You've got to get it done yourself. And Nadal is phenomenal that way. Still gets back to what I've discussed with you many times. There's nobody better in the class than Novak Djokovic, but there's nobody better day in, day out at navigating his way through tough matches than Nadal. And he's shown that to us really since he reached the top level when he won his first French in 05. I've Ever since then, I mean, his ability to compete is just extraordinary. We'll end it there. And, and Steve, I'm so so glad we were able to, to come back on for a few minutes and talk about this match. I would have felt cheated if we released it and, and didn't talk about this match. So thank you for your time. And to the listeners, I hope the tennis continues in Indian Wells is just as good as that match because that was, that was something to watch. So with that, we appreciate it. And we'll, we'll uh, talk to you in the latter stages again. Thanks again. Thank you, David.